Section 19 of Smithsonian Institution, United States National Museum, Bulletin 240, Contributions from the Museum of History and Technology, Papers 34 through 44 on Science and Technology, by the Museum of History and Technology. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Paper 41, Tunnel Engineering, a Museum Treatment, by Robert M. Vogel. During the years from 1830 to 1900, extensive developments took place in the field of tunneling, which today is an important, firmly established branch of civil engineering. This paper offers a picture of its growth from the historical standpoint, based on a series of models constructed for the Hall of Civil Engineering in the new Museum of History and Technology. The eight models described highlight the fundamental advances which have occurred between primitive man's first systematic use of fire for excavating rock and mining, and the use in combination of compressed air, an iron lining, and a movable shield in a subaqueous tunnel at the end of the 19th century. The author, Robert M. Vogel, is curator of heavy machinery and civil engineering in the Smithsonian Institution's Museum of History and Technology. Introduction With few exceptions, Civil engineering is a field in which the ultimate goal is the assemblage of materials into a useful structural form, according to a scientifically derived plan which is based on various natural and man-imposed conditions. This is true whether the result be, for example, a dam, a building, a bridge, or even the fixed plant of a railroad. However, one principal branch of the field is based upon an entirely different concept— in the engineering of tunnels, the utility of the structure is derived not from the bringing together of elements, but from the separation of one portion of naturally existing material from another, to permit passage through a former barrier. In tunneling hard, firm rock, this is practically the entire compass of the work, breaking away the rock from the mother mass and coincidentally removing it from the workings. The opposite extreme in conditions is met in the soft ground tunnel, driven through material incapable of supporting itself above the tunnel opening. Here the excavation of the tunneled substance is of relatively small concern, eclipsed by the problem of preventing the surrounding material from collapsing into the bore. In one other principal respect does tunneling engineering differ widely from its collateral branches of civil engineering. Few other physical undertakings are approached with anything like the uncertainty attending a tunnel work. This is even more true in mountain tunnels, for which test borings frequently cannot be made to determine the nature of the material and the geologic conditions which will be encountered. The course of tunnel work is not subject to an overall preliminary survey. The engineer is faced with not only the inability to anticipate general contingencies common to all engineering work, but with the peculiar and often overwhelming unpredictability of the very basis of his work. Subaqueous and soft ground work, on the other hand, while still subject to many indeterminates, is now far more predictable than during its early history. Simply because the nature of the adverse condition prevailing eventually was understood to be quite predictable. The steady pressures of earth and water to refill the excavated area 
are today overcome with relative ease and consistency by the tunneler in tunneling as in no other branch of civil engineering did empiricism so long resist the advance of scientific theory in no other did the practical engineer remain to such an extent the key figure in establishing the success or failure of a project the huzak tunnel after twenty-five years of legislative financial and technical difficulties in eighteen seventy five was finally driven to successful completion only by the efforts of a group who while in the majority were trained civil engineers were to an even greater extent men of vast practical ability more at home in field than office dewitt c haskin during the inquest that followed the death of a number of men in a blowout of his pneumatically driven hudson river tunnel in eighteen eighty stated in his own defense i am not a scientific engineer but a practical one i know nothing of mathematics in my experience i have grasped such matters as a whole i believe that the study of mathematics in that kind of work tunneling has a tendency to dwarf the mind rather than enlighten it in extreme attitude perhaps and one which by no means adds to haskins stature but a not unusual one in tunnel work at the time it would not of course be fair to imply that such men as hermann haupt brunel the elder and greathead were not accomplished theoretical engineers but it was their innate ability to evaluate and control the overlying physical conditions of the site and work that made possible their significant contributions to the development of tunnel engineering tunneling remained largely independent of the realm of mathematical analysis long after the time when all but the most insignificant engineering works were designed by that means thus as structural engineering has advanced as the result of a flow of new theoretical concepts new improved and strengthened materials and new methods of fastening the progress of tunnel engineering has been due more to the continual refinement of constructual techniques a new hall of civil engineering in the museum of history and technology has recently been established a hall of civil engineering in which the engineering of tunnels is comprehensively treated from the historical standpoint something not previously done in an american museum the guiding precept of the exhibit has not been to outline exhaustively the entire history of tunneling but rather to show the fundamental advances which have occurred between primitive man's first systematic use of fire for excavating rock and mining and the use in combination of compressed air iron lining and a movable shield in a subaqueous tunnel at the end of the nineteenth century this termination date was selected because it was during the period from about eighteen thirty to nineteen hundred that the most concentrated development took place and during which tunneling became a firmly established and important branch of civil engineering and indeed of modern civilization the techniques of present-day tunneling are so fully related in current writing that it was deemed far more useful to devote the exhibit entirely to a segment of the field's history which is less commonly treated the major advances which have already been spoken of as being ones of technique rather than theory devolve quite naturally into two basic classifications the one of supporting a mass of loose unstable pressure exerting material soft ground tunneling 
and the diametrically opposite problem of separating rock from the basic mass when it is so firm and solid that it can support its own overbearing weight as an opening is forced through it, or rock or hard ground tunneling. To exhibit the sequence in a thorough manner, inviting and capable of easy and correct interpretation by the non-professional viewer, models offered the only logical means of presentation. Six tunnels were selected, all driven in the 19th century. Each represents either a fundamental new concept of tunneling technique or an important early application of one. Models of these works form the basis of the exhibit. No effort was made to restrict the work to projects on American soil. This would in fact have been quite impossible if an accurate picture of tunnel technology was to be drawn, for as in virtually all other areas of technology, the overall development in this field has been international. The art of mining was first developed highly in the Middle Ages in the Germanic states. The tunnel shield was invented by a Frenchman residing in England, and the use of compressed air to exclude the water from subaqueous tunnels was first introduced on a major work by an American. In addition, the two main subdivisions, rock and soft ground tunneling, are each introduced by a model not of an actual working, but one of typifying early classical methods which were in use for centuries, until the comparatively recent development of more efficient systems of earth support and rock breaking. Particular attention is given to accuracy of detail throughout the series of eight models. Original sources of descriptive and graphic information were used in their construction wherever possible. In all cases, except the introductory model in the rock tunneling series, representing copper mining by early civilizations, these sources were contemporary accounts. The plan to use a uniform scale of reduction throughout in order to facilitate the viewer's interpretation unfortunately proved impractical due to the great difference in the amount of area to be encompassed in different models and the necessity that the cases holding them to be of uniform height. The related models of the Broadway and Tower subways represent short sections of tunnel only eight feet or so in diameter, enabling a relatively large scale, one and a half inches to the foot, to be used. Conversely, in order that the model of Brunel's Thames Tunnel be most effective, it was necessary to include one of the vertical terminal shafts used in construction. These were about 60 feet in depth, and thus the much smaller scale of a quarter inch to the foot was used. This variation is not as confusing as might be thought, for the human figures in each model provide an immediate and positive sense of proportion and scale. Careful thought was devoted to the internal lighting of the models, as this was one of the critical factors in establishing, so far as is possible in a model, an atmosphere convincingly representative of work conducted solely by artificial light. Remarkable realism was achieved by use of plastic rods to conduct light to the tiny sources of tunnel illumination, such as the candles on the miners' hats in the Hussack Tunnel and the gas lights in the Thames Tunnel. No overscaled miniature bulbs generally applied in such cases were used. At several points where the general lighting within the tunnel proper has been kept at a low level to simulate the natural atmosphere of the work, hidden lamps can be operated by push-button in order to bring out detail which otherwise would be unseen. The remainder of the material in the museum's tunneling section further extends the two major aspects of tunneling. Space limitations did not permit 
treatment of the many interesting ancillary matters vital to tunnel engineering, such as the unique problems of subterranean surveying and the extreme accuracy required in the triangulation and subsequent guidance of the boring in long mountain tunnels, nor the difficult problems of ventilating long workings, both during driving and in service, nor the several major methods developed through the years for driving or constructing tunnels and other than the conventional manner. End of section 19.